Bibles out. Let's open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're looking at this series called Cornerstone on Purpose. We're down to the last two messages. And if you recall, our purpose statement goes like this. The Cornerstone family of churches exists to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, grow together, and serve others. Can you let that sort of get into your mind? It's really not difficult to memorize. And can I personally ask a favor of you? And I probably am going to start just in a fun way, tapping you on the shoulder in the next several months and asking if you know it by heart. Can I ask that you would memorize this? It's really, it flows. And if you boil it down, there's three main core values. Love God, grow together, serve others. Well, we are in the final one of those core values. Grow, or not grow, but serve others. And today we're going to see from the Word of God the incredible opportunity that Cornerstone has to be a church that blesses other churches and ministries as we steward God's resources. So if you haven't found it yet, we're in 2 Corinthians and we're going to be in chapter 8. It's page 967 in that pew Bible. Can I encourage everybody, even if you didn't bring yours, get one of those Bibles open in front of you, 967. And one of the most beautiful ways to see the gospel today in action is when a church rises up and displays a generous spirit. Now, i got to make sure you heard that, because that's sort of the thesis for this entire message. One of the best ways, one of the most beautiful ways to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, that just means the good news of Jesus Christ, to see it in action, is when a church rises up and displays a generous spirit. This was the way of the New Testament church, and we're about to see it in action. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we walk through this. This is the first of two parts. We're talking about a generous church today. We're going to talk about a generous believer next week. But what I want you to do today, and then we'll continue it next week, Lord willing, that we, when we all gather, is what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself against the backdrop of this passage. Just be brave. It does actually require courage to really self-appraise. It requires courage when David prayed, God, search me and see in me. Have you ever prayed that to God? He's going to answer that. And the way that he searches you is when the Spirit of God lights up against your heart the backdrop of the Word of God. In other words, He's going to shine the word of God through your heart and visible immediately or very soon are going to be the parts that he says we need to do some surgery. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. Can you lay yourself against what this passage is going to teach us and answer this one question and answer it courageously? Are you a courageously generous Christian? I had somebody years ago, I don't know if I'll ever forget this. They said to me, Pastor Tim, the Lord's doing a really good work in our hearts. I said, what was it? What is it? What's he doing? 
And they said, you know, we used to not give anything to the church. We, not, we didn't give anything to ministry around the world. We didn't give anything to those people that were furthering the gospel. But now, now we're, we're giving, we've learned to give, and we've decided to give 3.5% of all that we earn. And I said, 3.5%. Well, the Bible calls for a tithe, which I believe Randy Elkhorn is right. It's just the training wheels for Christian giving. That's the baseline. And a tenth is 10%. And I said to that couple that said to me, I said, you know, that sounds like this. Pastor Tim, we used to rob 10 stores a year and now we're down to only three and a half. Isn't that amazing what God's doing? I don't think that's very amazing. I think the gospel wants to take people like you and I that hold on to our money, hold on to our possessions as if we're entitled and as if we own them, and open our fingers and by faith watch him do amazing things. That's what I think the gospel's doing. Let's watch it unfold in the life of some churches. Number one, I'm going to give you three points, and here's the first one. A generously giving church is full of God's grace. Now let's look at the text, and let's let our, our body and our, our congregation be a, a congregation that's about the Word of God. Here we go, verse 1. We're in chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, the Apostle Paul's writing, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The brothers were the Christians, so just to give you a little context, they're the Christians in the church at Corinth. That's why it's called the second letter to the Corinthian church. And the city of Corinth is actually the third most prominent city at that time in the whole Roman Empire. This is an amazing city. In 146 BC, it was completely demolished by Rome uninhabited for 102 years. And then here comes a guy that you all have heard of, Julius Caesar. He has it rebuilt. And Paul visits 100 years after Julius Caesar gets it rebuilt. He visited, visits, visits it in 49 AD. The population at that time of Corinth was about 80,000 people. It's located on a narrow strip of land that has the sea on both sides. So they called it the crossroads of Greece. Another title for Corinth, a passage for all of mankind. It was a boom town in the empire of Rome. It's where wealth became, now listen to this, wealth became the sole factor for respect and power. So this is a wealthy, wealthy city. It had a sports and entertainment culture, had an 18 thousand seat theater the PPNL center with the hockey games 8500 seat center i mean imagine how big that was the 18000 seat theater it had a 3000 seat concert hall go to state theater they top out at 1500 people so this is twice as large as a state theater You've got travel and, tour and tourism and nearly every religion on the planet all woven together in this incredible city called Corinth. What an opportunity for the gospel. And into this city came the apostle Paul. He had with him his mission team of Timothy and Silas. He also had the husband and wife team of Aquila and Priscilla, and they start a church. 
But the pagan culture of Corinth really rapidly found its way into this church. And after Paul visits it, he writes the painful letter of 1 Corinthians. And it spurred many of them to repent from their worldliness. Now it's about a year later, and he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians. And his pastor's heart is on full display. He writes in verse 1, look at it again, the phrase grace of God. Now what on earth does that mean? We think the unmerited favor of God, right? That's not what this phrase means. And if you don't understand this phrase's true meaning, you're not going to get the context. It actually means the grace of giving. And let me give you a little tour. Look at verse 2. He says the wealth of generosity. Look at verse 4, the favor of taking part. That's a, an offering that they had promised to take. Number 4 again, the relief of the saints. Number 6, verse 6, the act of grace. Verse 20, the generous gift. Chapter 9, verse 1, the ministry of this service. Verse 9 of chapter 9, this willing gift. Verse 13 of chapter 9, this contribution. All through both of these chapters is this running theme that the church at Corinth was being encouraged by Paul to be generous in their giving. They all refer, each of those phrases, to financial gifts or the act of giving money. But what we should know is that there is a reason this generous giving is called the grace of God. It's called an act of grace. Now, what's point one again? A generously giving church is full of God's grace. Why? Why is that true? Well, a Christian's generosity, now you remember, I want the word of God to shine its soul-searing, searching light against my heart and against your hearts. And up on that screen, where the x-ray is going to be pinned out, pinned up, you're going to see what's in there. A Christian's generosity must spring from God's grace. So let me explain that as clearly as I know how to explain it. God has given so much to us. Now hear this, because I know you agree with that. But do you agree with this part as I go on? And we've not only deserved none of it. Now hear this. This is hard to hear. We have deserved the very opposite. We've deserved every blessing taken away from us because of our sinful conditions. You have to start with that, Christian. If you don't start with this, you're really not going to be able to sustain gospel-centered generosity. We will be a generous church filled with generous Christians when we truly understand grace. And this understanding was deeply woven into verse 1, the churches of Macedonia, where Paul was staying when he wrote this letter called 2 Corinthians. And the churches of Macedonia were all located up in the northern, modern-day section of Greece. And we first hear about the Macedonians in Acts chapter 16. You may recall that in your readings through the book of Acts. Do you remember when Paul had a vision from the Spirit of God of a Macedonian man asking him to come help them? 
And so he traveled there, took him a long time to get there, but he finally gets to Macedonia. And when he gets there, he establishes the churches that you're very familiar with, the churches at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica and the one at Berea. All three of them, I'm sure you've heard of. And these churches were all undergoing intense persecution. Look at verse 2. They were in a severe test of faith or a severe test of affliction. Yet still, verse 2 says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, a couple things I want to tell you. First, the word extreme actually gives us our word bathysphere. And if you know anything about a bathysphere, that's what they call a submersible that can go down into the utter depths of the ocean and not implode like a tin can. It can withstand the pressures at the bottom of the ocean. That's the word extreme. And these churches in Macedonia were undergoing that kind of crushing pressure and adversity and affliction. And despite that, They were overflowing in a wealth of generosity. That takes unbelievable faith to be able to be generous in the midst of extreme poverty. Now, you may know of somebody wealthy. You may be wealthy. And you give a sum of money, and it really doesn't take you much below the waterline in your finances. Yes, you could think of the things that you would have done with that money, and it might have hurt a little bit may have caused you to kind of question, should I have given that much money? But if you're wealthy, you're you're not even going to have a recovery moment. You're fine. But when the extremely poor give, it's an amazing thing to observe. It is the work of God's grace in them. They are convinced that they don't deserve anything good from God, that all that they have is from God's grace, and it's really easy to keep your fingers open and say, God, if you want to take it from me and give it to somebody in need, it's yours to begin with. All I am is a steward. I'm just a pass-through for your blessings. So feel free to do it. Whereas, quite honestly, and you've got to check your own spirit, I have a tendency until the gospel opens my fingers of possessing it. This is what I work for. I have plans for things I want to get. I've got kids in college. So I've got to grab it, and I've got to hold on to it. And all the while, the gospel is whispering to the heart of Tim Ackley that is really God's, and you don't deserve any of it. And the fact that he's loaned it to you reminds you that he is so loving to you, and he is expecting you to keep your fingers open and your palm extended. When God chooses to move it, it is God's prerogative. And it provides for us a test of our faith. And here's what I want to ask you to really think. And we're going to keep it on the macro level of the church. Does our church, Cornerstone, truly believe that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm not on the board. I'm not in leadership. How would I possibly be able to answer that? 
Do you pray for our ministries? Do you have an expectation that God's going to provide everything that we need to do all that he's going to ask us to do? Do you give generously to this church as it puts forth gospel initiative ministries? That's how you answer that if you're not in leadership. By the way, that's how you answer it as well if you're in leadership. It wasn't too long ago, actually probably maybe a little longer than I just let on. It was probably about eight to nine years ago when I found out that we had people on our board that weren't even giving to this church. That's absolutely foreign to me. I do not even understand that. And I've even heard that while my service to the church is my monetary tithe. And again, I don't get that. That doesn't compute. That is nowhere found in the word of God. That is a closed grip. And that is not generosity, and that is a failure of that test. Our church truly believe that God will supply? No, the answer is not for that person. The Macedonian churches show us how we will give when we are utterly convinced of the truth of God's grace. Look at 2 Corinthians verse 3, chapter 8, verse 3. For they, the Macedonian churches, remember, bathysphere, extreme pressures of affliction, they gave according to their means, so I can test as I can testify, and beyond their means. In other words, this was their bread and milk and meat money. They'd saved it up for their meal. And they said, no, wait a minute. There's another church in need. we got to open our fingers and we got to trust God. He's going to supply everything we need. Let's be generous to that church. We don't deserve any of his blessings. Our hands are open. And when he wants to reach in and divert the money somewhere else or the possession somewhere else, then it's God's prerogative. They gave according to their means, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you get that language? They were begging Paul. Now, I don't know if Paul was doing this, but Paul might have been saying, well, wait a minute, listen, you guys are so poor, you don't have the money to give. And they're saying, please, Paul, let us give. We know our God is trustworthy. We don't worry about this. And this, not as we expected, I think Paul was floored. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. At Cornerstone, those poor Macedonian churches are reaching forward 2,000 years. And they're calling us today to be a generous church. That we would allow the word of God to free us from selfishness and worry and materialism. God's call to give will often be beyond our means, verse 3, but always of our own accord. We will give, why? Because we want to. The gospel of grace is stirring us from the inside out, not because we're compelled, not because we're talked into it, not because we're manipulated, not because there's outward pressure. About a decade ago, I took, actually it was about 14 years ago, I took a group of teens and a couple leaders to New York City for a service project for the weekend. And while we were there, we really, really wanted to go to this particular church. We had heard so much about them. 
And so we went. It's about a two-hour-long service, maybe two and a half hours long. And what made it so long was the offering. It lasted an hour. It had emotional testimonies and music from their choir and appeals and admonitions to give from the lead pastor. And, and finally, the offering after an hour of this. Listen, Cornerstone, generous giving should not require us to be talked into it. It should be motivated by the power of God's word. It is the gospel at work unleashing generosity from within. It's an impelling force, not a compelling force. It works from inside of us, not from outside of us. And that's the power of the gospel that works within us to give us a desire and a willingness to give that must be accompanied by obedient faith. You might want to give. You might feel the Spirit of God and sense God's Spirit moving you to give to meet a need for somebody, but it still requires an obedient response, and that's going to be by faith. The Macedonian churches gave generously despite their poverty. Why? Look at verse 4. For the relief of the saints. Their hearts broke. They erupted in generosity for the Christians in Jerusalem. They were suffering greatly in Jerusalem. Why? It was all compounded by a worldwide famine that God actually predicted in chapter 8 of the Acts. Tells us, actually, uh, chapter 11. Chapter 8 tells us that persecution had broken out. Remember when the Apostle Paul arranged, held the coats, was a, test, was a witness to the murder of Stephen? Persecution then broke out like a wildfire against the Jerusalem church. It, it scattered the Christians. And by Acts chapter 11, they were desperately in need of financial help. Here's Acts chapter 11. Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That's Jerusalem. You know what happened in AD 45? The Nile River flooded. This is all chronicled. It flooded. It decimated Egypt's grain harvest. It sent prices soaring throughout the entire Roman Empire, and there ended up being a great affliction, especially for the church. Yet these churches in Macedonia gave generously, even in the midst of this, severe affliction, despite their difficulty. There wasn't in their mindset, let's not touch our savings. Let's take a love offering for the Jerusalem church. Let's uh, pass the basket, but let's not touch our savings. Let's do anything we can, but don't touch our savings. That's there for a rainy day. That's not even in the mindset of the churches of Macedonia. They were begging us earnestly for the favor, taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, extravagant generosity, despite crushing poverty, happens when grace transforms our hearts. Now, was that you? Listen, I'm asking that same question to me. And I've been asking it all week. Number two, a generously giving church demonstrates the gospel of grace. 
It demonstrates the gospel of grace. Paul wants this church at Corinth to flourish in financial freedom, to freely of their own accord, verse 3. Follow through. They made a pledge. Look at verse 10. They made a pledge to help the church in Jerusalem. They had not yet taken up the offering. They had not yet sent it. So he's reminding them of their pledge, and he's, he's bringing the gospel of grace into their hearts to give generously for the suffering saints in Jerusalem and the work of the gospel. So he motivates them with the clearest expression of the gospel, one of the clearest in all of the entire Bible. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 18,000 people came into the Coca-Cola Dome in Randburg, South Africa, to listen to Benny Hinn preach. It was his miracle crusade. And the way that they did it is that before he would come out to preach... The one that primes the crowd to give was Pastor Todd Kuntz. He would come out first, and he would work the crowd of 18,000 people up into an emotional fervor to give to the Lord. He assured them, and I'm going to quote what he said, he assured them that God wanted to make them rich, that 500 people in the crowd would receive, quote, exceptional blessings, And that the service would yield, quote, millionaires and billionaires within 24 hours for anyone donating up to $1,000. And the blessing, to get them moving, the blessing would be poured out for only two minutes. And they had credit card machines ready. Cornerstone, I want you to hear this. Generosity should not be compelled by external pressures. It should be motivated by internal grace. Verse 9 is one of the clearest gospel verses in the Bible. Paul declares the good news that God who owns it all, who was rich in glory, left his throne to become a servant. He became man, he suffered, and he died for our sins. He became the poorest of the poor, bearing our sin. Friends, before our salvation, we were spiritually bankrupt. We had no righteousness in our account before God. We had nothing of which to barter for our salvation. We couldn't say, well, God, I've done this many good things because the Bible says even our good things are worthless compared to God's perfection. Yet for those who trust in God for salvation, he pours into them spiritual riches and he gladly shares them with his people now and for eternity. Spiritual riches like eternal life and salvation and righteousness and peace and favor and confidence and power to name a few. And Paul's point is this, our glad, willing generosity demonstrates the good news of Jesus Christ. When our church joyfully and sacrificially supports Christ-centered ministries inside and outside our church, we're demonstrating the gospel. 
And when you sacrificially give to any ministry that is living out the gospel of hope and word and deed, you're not only making friends for eternity, you're participating in the gospel. And it leads us to the third and final lesson that I'm suggesting we should take from this passage. And it's this. A generously giving church seeks partnerships for the work of Christ. Look at verse 10. In this matter I give my judgment. This is an opinion of Paul. He's not claiming that this is coming from God. He says, hey, I have an opinion. I'm going to give you my judgment. He had just shown them the highest example of giving, the example of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then he appealed to them to finish what they a year ago started, verse 10, which was a collection for the Jerusalem saints. Now, you've got to understand that, so I'm just going to underscore that really briefly. A while ago, the Corinthian church said, we're going to take a collection. We heard all of what's going on in Judea. We heard about the church in Jerusalem, that they're really struggling. We're in a really affluent city. We've got a lot of wealthy benefactors. We're going to take a collection, and we're going to send that money through you and your missionaries to that church. But they hadn't yet done it. They said they were going to do it, but they didn't do it yet. So Paul is motivating them by the gospel, by the example in verse 9 of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, be be generous. The Christians in Jerusalem need your gracious gift. You are their partners for the gospel. Even if there are hundreds of miles that separate you and them. And this is what partnership looks like. Look at verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance may supply your need and and there may be fairness. In other words, Paul's saying, you've got the money right now. God's really blessing you right now. You're in an affluent place right now. You've got extra right now. Give it to the ones who don't because there might be a reversal. And one day you might be the one that's in need, and it's their turn in Jerusalem to take a collection and help meet your need. Let there be fairness and economy in God's kingdom. Now listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 15. It's a book he penned, he wrote, while he was in Corinth. He writes this, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia, have been very pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Time out, Achaia is Corinth. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. Now, we don't like that language. We don't like hearing that we owe it to the poor to help. And that a church called Cornerstone owes it to another ministry that's struggling financially to help. We do not like that language and we vigorously oppose it, yet it's the word of God. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. This is church-to-church partnership. The responsibility that churches gladly bear for one another. Now listen, if you're in a conversation, or if you're on a committee, if you're on the board, 
And there's people saying, well, wait a minute, we really don't need to give. You've got to bring them back to the gospel. You've got to bring them back to the responsibility of what it means to have a church. To be a church that ought to, he uses the word ought, that owes it to those that are in need. To be a church that doesn't hang on to the savings with fear for the rainy day, but opens the fingers and say, God, it's all your money. It's all your possessions. If you want it to move from here to there, you just let us know and we will respond in faith. Why? Because it's grace that unlocks a generous spirit in a church. And when a church is blessed materially, they should share it with others who aren't because the day may come, and it likely will, when there's a downturn in economic reversal and the blessing will be coming back. And when churches gladly give to one another, no one is burdened. Look at verse 15. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I'm just going to put it in modern language. Corinthian church, you've got three million in your bank. And you're holding on to that because you live in an affluent city and that crept into your church. And you feel a whole lot better when you've got all that money in the bank. But there are churches that are suffering. And I want a zero-sum balance in the church's ledgers. Meaning... That that money is God's. And when there's a church and a ministry in need, the church ought to discern prayerfully and put it before the Lord. Are you opening our fingers and moving some of that money to them? Because whoever gathered much had that big bank account had nothing left over in God's economy. And whoever had little because of severe affliction had no lack because the, the wealthy churches gave. There is wisdom, friends, in a savings account. After all, did not God position Joseph as the number two man in Egypt to prepare for a, a country for seven-year famine? That's, it was Joseph that took care of God's people. Yet a generous, gospel-minded church on purpose focuses more on relieving suffering and breaking the grip of evil than it does their savings account and rainy day fund. Now, if you know me, and some of you do and some of you don't, you'd quickly realize I have really, honestly, a very simple faith. And it was shaped in the 80s as I voraciously read the Word of God, and then I got hungry for Christian biographies. If you don't read the stories of great men and women in the kingdom of God, you are missing vital nutrients for your soul. And I ate them hungrily and I came across people like Hudson Taylor who was a missionary to China who once said God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply I read that the Lord put it into my mind I have never forgotten it and it has been a catalyst for me ever since my faith is in that statement God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And then I put on the wall of my office years ago a letter that he wrote, a statement from that letter that he wrote from China to his wife, and he said this, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. 
I believe that. I seek to live that way. And I want to say this not by way of honoring myself or Denise, but I'm going to tell you that it is the influence of the word of God's uh, power in our hearts. And it's the testimony and the example of great men and women of God that has moved Denise and I, our entire marriage, to give generously to God's work without fail. Why? Because we're great people? Absolutely not. We're not great people. We're terrible people, but God is a great God. And his grace has persuaded us to open our hands and give. Has that grace uncurled your fingers? If not, you are forfeiting blessings, and you will see that next week, Lord willing. Friends, let us be motivated by the Macedonian churches who gave so much despite being caught in the crushing grip of the depths of poverty. Give generously because the grace of God is producing in you that desire. And give generously motivated by the example of Jesus Christ. And give generously and do the work of the gospel around the world. Amen? Let's pray.